Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast. We are the Outsiders. This is a podcast on race, justice, and Jesus. I am one of your hosts, Neil Salen. I am here, as always, with my main man, Tyler, a.k.a. Redeem France. What is up, brother? Hey, all the same, man. Yes, things have been uh, crazy. We're living in these Mm -hmm. COVID times, and uh, we're up on episode eight, which is a fantastic uh, thing, accomplishment for us to be to, and uh, it's taken us about three months to do eight. We were hoping (laughs) just two months to do eight, but it takes a little bit longer than we thought, a little bit more work as we're adjusting to all of these things, but we're super excited to be back with you. Thanks for joining us. We want to uh, just be a voice for... uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ yep. who are African American, we also want to be a tool to educate mm-hmm. our white brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, may not comprehend or understand some of these issues um, the way that we probably need to. Yeah. Um, and I saw evidence of this getting into our heart check uh, segment here. I saw direct evidence of this last week. So uh, one of the things that has been weighing upon my heart and some stuff that I've been reading and studying on is that the COVID numbers for African Americans, um, not so much in the testing, but in the hospitalizations and deaths are twice as high as white America. Yeah, I saw that. Which is a crazy thing to think about. So basically we're at now one in every 1,000 African Americans are dying of COVID. And that number is up for white Americans. It's like one in every 2,300. So, so more than double. Um, and this has been troubling me. And Mm -hmm. so I began kind of studying and reading and thinking about why that is. Because when you see something like that, I mean, it's, there's a reason for it. And you got to ask the question. We got to ask the question. Why is that affecting more than us? You got to ask why. And so one of the things that, um, I have become aware of as we've been studying history is that healthcare and people in poverty, um, those situations are always playing a huge role in life and death situations. Yeah. And so if you've got people who don't have as good a healthcare, um, they come from situations um, that lower income situations or poverty situations, then they're not getting the same care. So there, there's a lot that goes into it, which I don't want to get into now, but there's right, a lot right. that goes into it. And so one of the things that I did is I just went to social media and I just um, basically put that opinion out there. I just said, hey, COVID numbers are hitting super hard in the African-American community. I think it, I, I actually said, I think at least in part, mm. it has to do with the country's mm-hmm. racial past. Um, and it's something that's not being talked about enough when you talk about it. Yeah, I saw your post, yeah. My fir- the first comment that nobody got to see because I deleted it immediately. Right. Because I'm like, no, if you're not even if you're not even willing to engage like right. with some respect or whatever, then I'm yeah. I'm out. Yeah. You start calling names, I'm out. Yeah. So the very first post was black people need to take responsibility for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh you liberals crack me up. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that was said. Yeah. Um I immediately deleted it because I'm like, I'm not going to engage in that. I don't want anybody else to see that. I don't want anybody else to be engaging with that. But it is very telling. It's very telling. And it immediately hurt my heart for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, it didn't even think about the issue of, is this happening to African Americans because of a system problem? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it just personal responsibility? And going back to our last post, we talked about the fact that there's personal responsibility, but there is also oppression, biblically speaking. So it didn't even take that into account. 
Um, some of the deaths are personal responsibilities. You didn't social distance. You didn't wear masks. You didn't do the things you could have done. Right. Um, but we got numbers that are bigger than that. Yeah. Right. And we got a problem that's bigger than and, that. And there's white people that didn't socially distance too. And so if we're right, having, right, know, yeah, there's, exactly, there's, exactly. And there's a common denominator. And then the other thing that I think hurt my heart just as much was the fact that me bringing this up mm. automatically made me a liberal in the eyes of this person. Yeah, that's the first thing that stuck out to me when I heard right. you say that. Yeah. I'm like, so it makes me a liberal mm -hmm. to say these people are being, there's something disproportionate yeah. about the African-American population with COVID. And I believe it has to do with some of our historical racist past. Mm. And immediately that makes me a liberal. Right. It doesn't make me one that is, man, I'm, I'm glad Neil's concerned about this. Right. I'm glad Neil's bringing this to people's attention. I'm glad that Neil's worried right. that one in every thousand African-Americans are dying of COVID. Like, and so to wipe that all the way yeah. and not care about the lives of the people being affected, mm -hmm. only care about the political position right. that that supposedly falls into yeah. uh, is crazy to me and hurtful to me. Yeah. And uh, it angered me as well. Absolutely. I have some righteous indignation yeah. and uh, some biblical anger. Right for um, so that raised up in me. And I just thought, man, so again, another example of this is where we are right. in America. If you speak out yeah. for the underprivileged, or if you speak out on means of oppression, that immediately makes you labeled as something. Yeah. And, and, and you're an opponent now. Right. Oh you're yeah. I was, an, I was now. You're, absolutely. you're a liberal. You right. are against me now. Right. Because, right. Um, and, and it just always is revealing to me when people react that way because mm -hmm. I'm like, number one, why do you want to make me your opponent so quick? Right. And why are you so quick to jump on this? And maybe not even opponent, enemy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I don't, I hold a different view of this than maybe somebody else does. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's where we're at. And that's um, where it hurts my heart the most. Right. Um, because if you're there, then you're not listening you exactly. know what I mean? You're exactly. not listening. Yeah. You're you're not trying to understand where people are coming from. Right. It's just this is my way, and if you don't see it my way, you're the enemy. You're my opponent. You're somebody that I, you know, I need to attack. And why is caring and compassion for for black people a liberal thing? Right. And I and again, there's there's layers to that. Yeah. And and I wasn't cover. saying this individual person has done anything racist. Right. But they got defensive real quick about it. Yeah. Um, and that's troubling to me because when we stop listening and when we stop hearing people out and understanding where they're coming from, then yeah. there's going to be no growth and unity together. Absolutely. And that really brings us to this episode eight that we're dealing with here. Yeah. We're dealing with a topic that because people don't listen and because people aren't quick to hear mm -hmm. and they're quick to speak, we don't understand the reasons why people vote the way they vote and specifically why African-Americans vote Democrat. And so my heart check really leads into that because if we're not listening and if we don't care about why people have the views that they have, then we'll never understand where they're coming from. Empathy is thrown out the window and we will never be able to come together in unity. And so I yeah. think this needs to be addressed today. So today's topic, episode eight, why do African-Americans seem to vote Democrat? So there's no question a ton of African-Americans vote Democrat. Yeah, most African-Americans. Yeah, 
so that they even the ones that identify as conservative mm-hmm. politically or uh, even moderate, they vote Democrat yep. for the most part. Right. Um, actually, even Christians, Christian African Americans vote Democrat. Yeah, yeah, uh, by large numbers. Little fact for you: since the civil rights era, no Republican has received more than eighteen percent. No Republican running for office, president, okay, has received more than eighteen percent of the African American vote. And in the last few elections, that number has been in single digits. Yeah. So think about that: for fifty years, right? No person running for president from the Republican Party has got more than eighteen percent of the African American vote. That's crazy, and, and and I think Trump got six or eight, yeah, percent. So and it's there's a reason for that, folks. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the question that needs to be asked. Why? Right. Why is that true? And so in this historical segment, that's what we want to do. We want to answer that question. Why is this true? And and in order to answer it, we we have to do a little history. And I know that for a lot of people, history is boring because you know I remember in school kind of being bored by history. But you make it so interesting. But man. here's the thing about history: <laughs> when you understand history. Uh, you understand what's going on today. 100%. So we, we need to go all the way back to the 1870s. The 15th Amendment gave African-American men the right to vote. Not women right. yet, but right. men the right to vote. Well, since it had been Abraham Lincoln and the newly founded Republican Party who was credited as giving them this right, mm-hmm. and of course, obviously emancipating them, but then giving them this right to vote. Right. And since most Southern slave owners and those involved in the KKK Mm. were Democrats, African-Americans became Republicans. Right. So from the jump, when African-Americans... So things are just completely reversed. Yes. When African-Americans began voting and were involved in the political process, they were Republicans. Yep. Lincoln had started the Republican Party. They emancipated us. They gave us the right to vote. And the Southern Democrats are a bunch of racist KKK members. So we're going with... The Republicans. That's right. how it was fleshed out originally. Right. Now, you need to understand, Southern Democrats were the conservatives of the time. Mm. They wanted things to go back the way they were before Lincoln and the Yankees and the North messed everything up. <laughs> uh, they were, in the political language of the time, they were the conservatives. They yeah. were the ones who wanted things conserved. Right. Since they wanted the, to conserve their way of life and, and their, their ways. Yeah, and not to yeah. mention their power and their economic... Well, of course, that's, <laughs> that's part of their way of know? life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so since the ending of the Civil War, something had happened. The North mm. had kept federal troops in the South to make sure that the South could not oppress African Americans. But what happened was in the election of 1876, there was a deadlock run for president. You had the country in danger of going back to a civil war, in danger of going back to um, to violence again. Mm. Uh, world, you know, I mean, the whole country going back into it again. So what happened was, is a group of no- northern Republicans and southern Democrats met together and came up what, with what eventually would be known as the Compromise of 1877. Mm-hmm. Southern Democrats were not happy about the fact that federal troops were down here in the South. We hate the North anyway. Right. They got troops down here. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can use this, this compromise to our advantage. So here's what they came up with. They decided that the Republican nominee for president, mm. Rutherford B. Hayes, would get the, president, get the presidency. But federal troops would have to be removed from the South. Right. So African-Americans feel stabbed in the back 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they feel betrayed. Yeah, they felt like the Republican Party sold them out. Right. Like, here, here you were. Like, we were on your side. You freed us. You gave us the right to vote. And now, in order to keep your power, mm-hmm. and to, you compromised and took federal troops out of the South, now leaving us, we talked about this before, right. leaving African Americans... Um, basically at the the whim of the Southern Democrats mm-hmm. and, and those that were racist in yeah. the South. And so this became a huge problem, a huge problem. The, the South was turned over to the racist Democrats and quickly they got Jim Crow enacted. So things were, were really good for a few years, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the fact that, man, things could have gone so different yeah. in the Reconstruction era. Things could yeah. have gone so very dif- different, but they absolutely, di- it did not happen right. um, because as soon as those federal troops got out, then oppression and racism flared up massively. Jim Crow laws were enacted, so African-Americans started having a hard time voting, right. period, uh, much less having a hard time voting for either party. Yeah. Um, they, they stopped being able to vote in the South, so they stopped trusting either party now. So now Republicans and Democrats, they both have sold us out. And that's a big strategy, taking away their voice, taking yeah. away their – they would have voted against the interest of the, the, in the ones in power. Right, in the South. Yeah, right. absolutely. So. And, and so things got so bad in the South, we, we had the Great Migration. We talked about this as well. But this is when millions of African Americans could no longer live in the South with the situation as it was, so they moved to the North. They moved up north, got factory jobs. Yeah. Um, Now, in the north, you could vote. In Mm -hmm. the south, they weren't letting you vote, right? uh, Oppression was such that you couldn't vote. But in the north, you could vote. Um, But African Americans were not loyal to any party. In fact, there had been 22 black Republicans in Congress from the south. But they all got removed. Jim Crow laws. All of them got removed, and for 30 years, there was not another black vote into office. Mm. So in a quick span of time after right. the Civil War, you had 22 blacks go into to Congress. Right. And then they were all removed, and for 30 years, you didn't have anything going on. So now African-Americans are like, forget all y'all. Right. How do, yeah, how do they feel about politics at this right. point, right? Yeah, I mean, how do they feel about this whole thing? Right. Um, now, let's jump forward mm-hmm. to the Great Depression, right? So in that gap between losing all the members of Congress and not being able to vote and the federal troops coming out and them moving up north, um, they, there was a, dist- a massive distrust of both parties. Yeah. But then you had the Great Depression. Um, at, no political party was in the good graces of African Americans, but African Americans were hit hard mm-hmm. by the Depression. In fact, twice as hard mm. as their white counterparts. And everyone was disappointed in Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover's right. plan to get things back on track was not good. Everyone was disappointed in it. And so basically everyone supported the New Deal of FDR. Mm-hmm. He came up, here's his resolution. Franklin and, D. Roosevelt. Yes, and it had huge support. Mm-hmm. Um, it had huge support by Northern blacks. Mm-hmm. Northern black voters saw FDR as one who was going to be able to help them. Right. So a shift took place, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you had, you got to follow us here, guys. You had... Blacks voting Republican. Then that blacks felt betrayed, and obviously Southern Democrats were against them, mm-hmm. so they didn't trust anybody. Right. Then you had FDR and the New Deal. And, and from the FDR moving forward, you had African Americans basically split. You had them some voting Republican, you had some voting Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first time that a Democratic candidate, though, was getting any kind of African American support yeah. for the first time. Yeah. After 
um, the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. In fact, in 1934, Washington, D.C. saw something they had never seen before, a black Democrat in Congress, mm. a man by the name of Arthur Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Over the next 20 years or so, African Americans continued to vote for both Republican and Democrats. And it all depend on which candidate was proposing civil rights measures, yeah. right? Yeah. And and what they were supporting. But mm-hmm. but there was a, a ver- very much of a back and forth, right? There was very much of a, a some voted Democrat, some voted Republican. It still was not, you know, one way or the other. And a lot of that's because there were different wings to them. Yeah, absolutely. To both so parties. Yes. Yeah, so so the we're not used to this. This yeah, is very strange for us. Super strange. Because today we have Democrats are the progressive liberals and Republicans are the conservative. Mm-hmm. But back then, you had two wings of each party. Yeah. So the Democrats had a progressive wing, right, which were the Northerners. Right. And they had the conservative wing, which was the Southerners. Mm-hmm. And then the Republicans had the conservative wing, and then they had the progressive urban wing. Mm. So both had progressive conservative wings right. in each one. Um, the Republicans, the progressives, they were led by people like the Rockefellers. Mm. Um, the conservatives were those who wanted to limit the size of government, so they were consult- called the conservatives. They want to conserve right. a small government. But, but here is what is massively important to understand. Both the conservative wings, the conservative wing of the Republican Party and the conservative wing of the Democratic Party, were against the government getting bigger, so they teamed up together to block almost all civil rights legislation um, from the New Deal to the 1960s, over a hundred pieces yeah. of civil rights legislation was proposed, but the conservative Republicans and Southern Democrats blocked almost all of it, mm-hmm. every bit of it. Um, now, interesting note: guess what party was the one who primarily was proposing all of the civil rights legislation from the New Deal to the 60s? It was Democrats, Mm -hmm. Northern Democrats. So African-Americans started trusting the Northern Democrats a little bit more and a little bit more, and they began voting and siding with them with more regularity. Mm. Um, At the same time that the Northern Democrats were doing that, gaining the support of African-Americans, the Southern Democrats were attempting to stop all civil rights legislation, and the Democratic Party, basically a breaking point was about to happen. Yeah, The North were pushing civil rights... The South were saying, no, 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 no. We need things to go back the way they were. Right. We, we want segregation. We want uh, states' rights. We want small government. Mm. And what was about to happen, this shift, this break that was about to happen, was going to change U.S. politics forever. Mm. And that entered in a man by the name of Strom Thurmond. Strom Thurmond, yeah. Strom Thurmond ran for president in 1948. He sat in the Senate from 54 to 03. He was a Southern Democrat, and for one time, he was actually governor of South Carolina. Mm. Now, Thurman, when the New Deal got proposed, he really wasn't that much against it because segregation stayed intact. Mm -hmm. But when Harry Truman integrated the military in 1948, that was it. Right. Um, He was done with that. And so, because that pushed very strong civil rights legislation. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, uh, uh, Truman did. Yeah. And so, Southern Democrats like Strong Thurmond, had mm-hmm. had enough. Right. Uh, they started a new Democratic Party mm-hmm. called, this is a mouthful, States' Rights Democratic Party. 
Uh, it better it got known as the Dixiecrats. It was just easier right. to say than <laughs> states' rights, Democratic Party. Just known as the Dixiecrats. And Strom Thurmond ran against Truman in 1948 mm-hmm. and he, got destroyed. Yeah, he got killed. Yeah. He, he got killed, <laughs> and that ended this D- Dixiecrat party. Like it yeah. was, it was just done. Um, and that's when he actually went into Congress and attempted from that point on to block all civil rights legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1960, okay, this is where this is the protests piv- are happening. Yes, this yeah. is this is the pivotal stuff. 1960, the civil rights protests are heating up. JFK, a Northern Democrat, won the presidency. John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. Know. Of course, we know in 63 what happened to him, right? He was um, he was killed. In he Dallas. was killed. I think one of the reasons he was killed was because he believed that civil rights was a moral issue. Right. He believed um, that it was a right and wrong issue. Mm-hmm. And so he promised a major civil rights bill to end discrimination against African-Americans, at least legally. Yeah. And of course, he was then killed. LBJ, mm-hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson, took over for him and vowed to finish the fight. Right. And so in 1964, with the help of the progressive Republicans, remember, you still got wings, mm-hmm. right? So you got Northern Democrats, mm-hmm. With progressive Republicans Mm -hmm. who got the Civil Rights Act passed. Here's the problem. LBJ was a Southern Democrat. Mm. And so Strom Thurmond and Southern Democrats were furious. Mm. And that was it for them. Yeah. They were done with the Republican Party. Mm. So this is vitally important. If you're listening, please catch this. Okay. The wing of the Democratic Party that was overtly for segregation and racist ended, all right? It Mm -hmm. ended with the Civil Rights Act. Mm -hmm. And those Southern Democrats who were racist became Republicans. Right. So now you have the, the conservative Republicans who did not want integration. Right. You have the Southern Democrats who did not want segregation now all are considered Southern Republicans, mm-hmm. right? They're all They're just one group, group together yeah. in the South. Ab- right. Absolutely. Um, so that's a big term for the Republican Party. Oh, it was a huge term for, right. for the Republican Party. There was this massive influx into the Republican Party mm-hmm. of a bunch of racist, racist segregists, segregationists yeah. into the Republican that, Party. That's a mouthful right there. It is a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> and it makes me vomit that... <laughs> this is the way it went down. Absolutely. Uh, see what it did there? See what it did there? Mouthful, yeah, saw, vomit. Yeah, um, Bars. Then came Barry Goldwater. Mm. Barry Goldwater was the presidential nominee for the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Um, Goldwater, listen, listen to this, opposed the Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. as a Republican. He wanted limited government. He wanted states' rights. And he didn't want civil rights legislation. So he's playing into a... Democratic Southerners were saying for years. Yes, for years. He's just playing right into yeah, that. Since the 20s, mm-hmm. I mean, for 40 some odd years, Southern Democrats have been saying no segregation, I mean, yeah. no integration, right. states' rights, mm-hmm. small government, and now Barry Goldwater, as a Republican, is saying those very same he's things. He's just putting a different face on it. Now he's a Republican, same things to fit same with thing. the Democratic Southerns. And as a result of this, Barry Goldwater did win the Deep South. He won mm-hmm. four or five Deep South states, but that's it. Mm-hmm. He didn't win at all. Right. Four years later, Richard Nixon, Republican, tries again. He appeals to white suburban families who were scared to death by the scenes of African Americans, Americans protesting and rioting with the language of law and order. Yeah. That, that's key, by the way. Oh, yeah. Still hear this today. Yeah. 
law and order Absolutely. was language that was used to target white families who were afraid. Mm. Goldwater and Nixon... And not only is that still used today, it's still used today for those same purposes. The very same purposes. Same purposes. Very same purposes. And by the way, black people know this. Right. Black people know this. Yeah. They know. We they they know. We we'll, know we'll where talk law, about that too. We know where law and order came from. Mm-hmm. So Goldwater and Nixon were attempting to to do something that became known as the Southern strategy. And here was the Southern strategy. If we win the South from Florida to California by appealing to white voters, then we don't need black voters or urban liberal voters. Mm-hmm. We don't need them. Right. So we're just gonna focus on the white South. And Nixon won. Yeah. In 1980, Reagan announced his run for presidency. Where? The Deep South. Mm -hmm. In Mississippi, by the way, in a city where three civil rights activists, leaders, had been assassinated. Mm -hmm. Not a good look. Right. If you're trying to if you're trying to to win over African Americans, that's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, Again, in his acceptance speech, he talked about states' rights. Mm. Uh, He talked about small government. This troubled African Americans. Of course, it made the Dixcrats mm-hmm. really happy. Yeah, Southern now Southern Republicans very happy. Right. In fact, in a recording that we have since heard, it has since been released, secret mm-hmm. recording of Henry Lee Atwater. Yeah, this is crazy. Who was yo. the chief political consultant for Reagan? Listen to this, okay? The chief political consultant for Ronald Reagan said this privately and was secretly recorded. He says, you start out in 1954 by saying, N-word, N-word, N-word. He actually says it. Yeah, he doesn't say N-word. He says the word. But by 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now that you're talking about cutting taxes and all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and by a byproduct of them... It's going to hurt blacks worse than it hurts whites. Mm. And subconsciously, maybe that's part of it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if it's getting that abstract and that coded, that we are doing away with the racial problem one way or another. You follow me? Mm. Because obviously sitting around saying we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing and a hell of a lot more abstract than saying N-word, N-word. Now, we need to to catch what he's saying. Oh, yeah. He's saying... We still are going to appeal to white Southerners. Yeah. But we can't do it by using the N-word. We have to do it through code. Right. We can't use the N-word anymore. Mm-hmm. If you do that, it hurts you and it backfires. So we got to say some other coded language mm-hmm. that we can use. Stuff like states' rights. Mm-hmm. Stuff like limited government. Mm-hmm. Stuff like forced busing. We'll use that language, which... And, and uh, cutting taxes. Yeah. We'll use that language. We know it's going to hurt blacks more than it hurts whites. Right. But that's the strategy. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Not all Republicans at the time thought this way. Right. But it shows you the strategy it reveals of the, the strategy. political party. It absolutely reveals the, the strategy. The Republican political party strategy right. was to win white, southern, self-proclaimed Christians. Yeah, it's the Dixiecrats in the Republican Party. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and, and the, Republi- the, the conservative Republicans the conservative all along. Republicans, so from yeah. 68 to 88, the Republican Party became the party of white Southern conservative Christians. Yeah. And the Democratic Party became the party of the progressive left hippies. Yeah. And the African-Americans. Right. The hippies, right? Mm-hmm. 
and the African-Americans. Right. African-Americans, with all of this history of racism perpetuated against them, they, became, they become looking at the Republican Party as the party that stood against civil rights, mm. the party that absorbed the Dixiecrats and the Southern Democrats who were for segregation, and, and knowing that all of this language that has been used by the Democrats, Southern Democrat racists for so long, is now being used by Republicans. Mm. States' rights, limited government, yeah. cutting taxes. And he didn't say this, but law and order. And law and order. Yeah. You can see why they began abandoning the... Uh, yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> you can see why they began abandoning yep. the Republican Party and voting right. Democrat. Right. They viewed historically mm-hmm. the Republican Party as the party that stood against them and their civil rights. And as a white person, I, I can go through my life and not know history. Black people, they don't do that, man. They yeah. know their history. They know. They know about it. They're taught from a very young age. And the reason why is because it's like, you need to look out for this. Right, right. And I think, I know that was a lot in 20 minutes. Yeah. I know we went through a lot of history. Was that 20 minutes? We'll but go back and, mm-hmm. and listen to it again because you need to understand what was just described to you yeah. in trying to comprehend why African Americans abandoned the Republican Party for good yeah. and why to this day they get single digits um, when running for president as Republicans, and why over 85% of African Americans, last election, 92% of African Americans vote Democrat. It's important for us to know our history so that know, we know where we are today. All right, so for our modern segment, there is this divisive idea among Christians today that if you are truly a Christian, you cannot vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. Now, we just went over the history, and we know why that's not true, because black people that are Christians are still taught from a young age to not vote Absolutely. Democrat. To um, not vote Republican, but th- to vote Democrat. Th- that is correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but if, if you profess Christ as your Savior, this is the idea, right? If you profess Christ as your Savior, you have to be conservative. Mm-hmm. After all, conservative party is the one of pro-life and, and pro-Jesus, right? Yep. Been taught this my whole life. I have heard, I mean, not yeah. taught by my parents, but I have heard this right. yeah. my whole life. And I have too. I've, I'm the exact same way. I've been taught this. It's been ingrained in me. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that I grew up thinking this way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and let me extend an olive branch here. They have in-context scriptures that support some of their claims. Yeah, right. if, if you're just looking for scriptures that are pro-life and Which, pro-Jesus... We can all do that. You're right. going gonna to find right. pro-life and pro-Jesus verses in the Bible. The Bible teaches that life... <laughs> exactly. I mean, yes, you will find those. Yeah, the Bible teaches that life begins at conception, humans are made imago Dei in the image of God, that life is intrinsically valuable... And should be protected. Absolutely. Right? Amen. We both agree with Hardcore that. Hardcore pro-life here. Right. So they say an issue like an abortion, and they question anyone who could possibly vote for a party that supports those practices. Like right. I said, we just went through the history. Right. We just saw why historically black people see the um, the Republican Party mm-hmm. as, as... As against them. Against them. As against um, them. So here's where it's more nuanced and complicated than just that. Right. If we as Christians were to be consistent with that viewpoint, 
that a candidate supports something wicked, so I can't vote for them. Neil, you and I, we we could not vote. Right. Right. If if right. we were just gonna go by that. So right. let's just based off that, both sides have real wicked policies that scripture is against. Mm-hmm. To the point where some of the historical motivations and people behind them uh, fit, I mean, the most wicked people you see in the Bible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Even absolutely. in the history that we just went over, Thurman and stuff, like, those kind of people are Bible villains mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that being said, I do not think Scripture is for or against our right to vote. Right. So that would fall under the matters of conscience. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, so to my Christians, let me level with you. Vote or don't, uh, but do so following your convictions. Right. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Right. So follow Him. Yes. And again, this is an in-house conversation for, for sure. Christians. Right. Vote or don't, but do so because the Holy Spirit convicts you one way or the other. Absolutely. And we talked about this before. Um, about you know matters of conviction and and how that is supposed to be done, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what episode it was, yeah. but go back and yeah. listen. The kneeling for the national anthem, exactly. Yeah, yep. Um, so now that we've played, uh, kind of laid the framework, let's get into the next part. So I had a conversation with two of my very closest friends. I've known these guys for fifteen plus years. They are. Guys that I love, I, I can vouch for them personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they love Jesus as well. They are black, and they are voting Democrat. How long did you talk to them for? Uh, probably about forty-five minutes, all yeah. in all. Yeah. So you got you got a, a legit, really good, deep conversation with these two guys. Yeah, and I and I actually kind of interviewed them. Uh, yeah. I was going to use it for the podcast, but it didn't really work out with the clips and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but. I mean, it was a really, really good conversation, and I got us to kind of see why they voted Democrat. Right. Yeah, what they're thinking. What they were thinking and kind of what's behind it, because, again, a lot of Christians say, you know, how can you possibly vote Democrat? We have right. pastors, again, pastors just saying, you can't vote Democrat and be a Christian. Right. These guys are Christians. Yeah. These guys love Jesus, and um, they voting Democrat with, with complete, con- uh, clear conscious. Right. And, yeah. And they actually kind of feel like they're defending their people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, let's get into it. Let's, yeah, let's, let's talk let's a little bit. Let's kind of chat about it. You know, the first, we've both, we've both listened to this by the way, yeah. multiple times. So right. Tyler more than I have, cause he obviously did the initial interviewing, but I've listened to it multiple times and it is pretty eye opening and gives us a really good understanding of, of, I think what the average African-American thinks on, on this issue. Yeah. Um, so the first thing they said is, is you know, because I asked two questions. I said, what is the Republican Party, uh, like, what's the turnoff of the P- Republican Party for right. you? Yeah. Right? Um, and the first thing they said is, is they're not talking to us. Right. Um, they, they actually said that, you know, Republicans don't understand our issues. They don't right. understand us. Either they don't care or they don't understand us. Right. Um, and so their representation, what they're doing, actually furthers, um, it, it actually furthers them from where they want to go yeah, and I th- in their and I, progress. Yeah, and I think you, you know, when you understand human beings, yeah, right? I mean, one of the things that 
we want is we want representation. We want to Absolutely. feel like we're being represented yeah. um, properly. And at the very least, heard. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, if and not so, represented. So I yeah. think what happens is, is I think so many times politicians speak to their base. Yes. Right? So the Republican Party base is not African Americans. Right. Right? As we said, they, they yeah. predominantly, historically, have voted a Democrat over the last 50 years. So a Republican nominee for president mm -hmm. knows when I need to fire up my base, yeah, yeah. I am not appealing to African Americans. Right. That's not the base I'm appealing to. Right. So I'm not speaking to those people. Mm -hmm. Now, there may be some that get caught up in that, right. but that's not who they're speaking to. Right. And so they're, they're speaking to their base. Yeah. And so when a Republican president or nominee for president begins firing up the base, mm -hmm. getting the base excited, getting the base motivated, yeah. it's leaving out where the blacks are coming from because the blacks right. are not part of that base. Right. And so when blacks feel like you're not talking to me right, right. now, you're talking to white America, yeah. right? You're talking to white evangelicals, but you are not talking to me. And when that happens, they're out. Yeah. Especially if you know how much we want representation, how much right. when you're having a conversation with somebody yeah. to, to know that you're being talked to, yeah. that your views are being addressed and they're not talking about somebody else while they're trying to talk to you. And mm -hmm. I think that's how a lot of African-Americans feel. Yeah. They feel like they, that they're not being talked to. Mm -hmm. when it comes to the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and then it kind of goes into not only are they not being talked to, um, but they also brought up this point, and I, I loved it. It, it. They said presentation is is more than you think. Right. It's not everything, but it's right. way more than you think, and especially in uh, in a lot of black people. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's exactly what I have heard. Mm -hmm. um, from what I have read from my interactions with African-Americans um, in, in, in the context of politics is that rhetoric and presentation are huge. They matter. They really, really matter. Yeah. And so I, I've had multiple people come up to me and say, what has Trump ever done or said that's racist? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, and I've always responded by saying, it is perception. Right. Right. It yeah. is perception. It is knowing how this is going to be perceived. So I, I'll give you just two examples, mm -hmm. I, I think, that are really important. Um, when the president of the United States, um, Donald Trump, uh, you may be listening to this and he's either still the president or Biden has one president. But when Donald Trump was the president, he spoke of a black woman and called her a dog. Mm -hmm. He has made fun of Kamala Harris's name right. and called her a monster. Mm -hmm. He accepted a chant in Ohio of LeBron James sucks. Mm -hmm. That presentation, yeah. that rhetoric right. is going to be perceived by the vast majority of African-Americans right. as racist absolutely, because of the history. Yeah. We have a history of white men in power mm -hmm. speaking down especially to black women right. and also to black men. Yeah. And so when that happens, the perception is yeah. you're attacking black people. Right. Um, and that is vastly and important. And it looks like that way. It I mean, absolutely it, it does. does. That way. And that, that perception matters. Right. 
Um, we've mentioned, you know, when when Trump went and called the NFL players who were kneeling SOBs. SOBs. Yeah. Again, the vast majority of the people that were kneeling were African Americans. Yeah. And he just called them SOBs. That is going that presentation, that right. rhetoric is going to be seen as problematic, um, if not overtly, blatantly racist. Right. And when they see that, it gets into uh, they. It actually kind of feeds into this idea um, that of fear as well. Mm-hmm. Like the, so, the rhetoric kind of feeds into the fear. So you see Trump acting that way, and then that bleeds into okay. Then what is it, what are his intentions right. for the country for my people? Yeah, and and the, and the the truth is, you know, looking at a historical. Um, aspect of it. It's like what I mentioned earlier, right? When you've got Strom Thurmond using the language of mm-hmm. states' rights, oh, yeah. law and order, um, limited government. Yeah. And of course, with all the, you know, the anti, you know, he does, he, he, he wants to keep segregation, all that kind of stuff. Right. Then all of a sudden you've got other Republicans who are not pushing segregation, but they're still using the same rhetoric, yeah. still presenting themselves the same way that speaks volumes. Right. And so that's what Absolutely. we're talking about here. We're, I, I'm not saying that Trump, um, or any president is sitting in their office going, okay, I hate black people. Now, how can I ruin yeah. them? Right. I, I don't know his heart. I can't speak to that. What I can speak to is what African-Americans say about presentation and rhetoric. Yeah. And you're exactly right. That feeds into a fear. Yeah. Um, a fear that has some basis. Yeah. Right. Right. There's irrational fears. Yeah. Right. Right. That right. are just like, oh, absolutely. you know, I'm scared that if, if I say, you know, um, bloody Mary three times in the mirror in the bathroom, <laughs> then I, you know, I'll be killed. So there's irrational yeah. fears. Right. Then there are rational fears. They're based on some evidence. by history and, right. and evidence, yeah. Right. And so when the African-American community begins hearing rhetoric that they know is very detrimental to them, yeah. then fear, are, you know, arises. Yeah. I was blown know? away, actually, because, uh, you know, uh, one of my buddies brought up the fact, he was like, you know, I think that if Trump wins again, racism is going to be at an all-time high. Like Trump already, another thing that Trump presents at least is that he he helps ignite some people. He helps yeah. make people a little more bold with right. their yeah. views he bolsters and stuff like that. So view. even if he doesn't necessarily align with those beliefs, right? He emboldens them. Yeah, it, it opens a door for them to feel like they can be more vocal, that they can be more active right. in their racism. And as a black person who already deals with that on a, on a fairly reg- regular basis... Yeah, it's a legit fear. To have somebody that is in power that can do things yeah. that, that emboldens that yeah. is scary. And, and I heard um, him actually tell me, he was, it blew me away, you heard the conversation... He said, I'm afraid that we're going to go like back to the civil rights, like before the civil rights type stuff. Right. Like that violence and, is going to escalate to that point. And that- I, it's like based off of this election and, and you can hear that and say, oh, well, that's not, you know, that's not going to happen. That never even registered to me that he would feel that way. Right. But dude, this is an educated guy. Oh, yeah. This is someone who is uh, both of these guys. They're educated um, and and they've done their homework in a lot of aspects and it's just like and they feel that way man that right. that means something to me 
Right. You know, whenever I, when I heard that and when I can see kind of that fear, that means something to me and I, never registered to me as a white person. Yeah, and I, th- and I think, too, I think the that fear, that idea of, you know, things will go back to an all-time high that that we will see the 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 violence um the rhetoric the racism that we saw during the civil rights era um again it's based upon some some factual evidence i mean i think we have seen more overt racism in the last four years Mm -hmm. by people who feel like well trump can speak his mind i can speak my mind and and again, we have had the FBI and the CIA say the greatest threat, the greatest terrorism threat to domestic, you know, peace mm-hmm. in the United States of America is alt-right and white supremacy groups. Yeah. This is the CIA and the FBI. Right. Right. Under a Republican <laughs> president. Right. And Absolutely. Congress. Uh-huh. So. And Senate. So this is based upon some facts. Yeah. So if they see that this has happened in the last four years, they're thinking, well, what will happen in the next four? Right. And so they they vote um, based upon that fear, which yeah. I would argue separate podcast uh, episode. But I would argue we all vote. So many people vote out of fear. Right. Um, yeah, I, I would actually. And, and then that. here's what's crazy that that kind of goes right along with that is that so it's not just fear, it's the other side of the coin, which is hope and change, mm-hmm. right? So if, which by the way, that was literally the the two words that were used during the uh, Obama yeah. you know, campaign, oh, yeah, <laughs> hope yeah, yeah. and change. Those and, <laughs> and those guys, both of those guys brought those words up too. Yes. And it's funny that Obama did use that as yes. his... Hope and change yeah. are huge for the African-American community. They see what they perceive to be um, the rise of overt racism in this country and it scares them. And the other side of that fear coin is hope and change. And so they're saying, well, then I'm going to vote for the guy that I think can bring the most change to this issue. Yeah. Right. To this issue. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a whole lot of other things that can change, but for African-Americans, racial inequality is the number one issue they're thinking about. Right. So which candidate is going to bring the most change in this, this aspect? Yeah. And they believed, in the interview, they believed that right now um, the Republican Party as a whole mm-hmm. is not willing to listen to bring about the change that's necessary. Right. They don't feel like they're, they're being heard, yeah. that... I think one of the quotes was that the Republicans right now um, have their, they need to have their ears a little bit more open um, and have their mouths more closed, more closed. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm paraphrasing that, but oh, that's basically yeah. what they said, right? Yeah. Their mouths are open, but their ears aren't open. Right. Um, we need to close the mouths and open up the ears more. And so if they feel like they're not getting that, then mm-hmm. they're like, well, then I don't believe hope and change is coming from there. Right. So then I'll vote for the other side. Right. And this side presents change and hope, even if even and they actually even said this, even if they don't mean it. Right. <laughs> like, right. I don't think either one of them are for me. Right. But but at least this one's going to listen to right. me. At least this one understands that there is an issue. Yeah. And I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong Tyler, but but I think as the interview, you know, kind of rolled to an end, the, the 
before you last asked your last couple questions, but just this this kind of rolling dialogue y'all were having, it really boiled down to this. Change is the most important thing they're voting for. Yes. And they're not bought off by better taxes, right. um, financial gain, mm -hmm. foreign policy. Yeah. You know, um, one of the, the guys said, you know, listen, our taxes going up or down mm -hmm. is way down on the radar yeah. of my list of priorities. It's not so even on the radar. When when all that yeah. conversation is happening, that means nothing to me. Right. Like I want change when it comes to racial inequality. Yeah. That's what they're voting for. Hope in hope and change is always the major factor in why blacks vote. And if they feel yeah. like Republicans are policy over people mm -hmm. and that change is not gonna happen for people, then they're not they're not going to go that way. That's absolutely true. Um, yeah. And even if there are some things about the Democratic Party that they disagree with, they're going to go with the Democratic Party if they believe that party gives the greatest chance mm -hmm. for hope and change. Yeah. Because they tend to be, they at least they come across right. as being willing to listen more right. when it comes to that issue. And, and you can look at, at all the statistics that say why African Americans vote, why white evangelicals vote, and they're not the same priorities. Yeah. So, so we're talking about priorities here. Right. So, so if somebody comes to me and says, you know, Neil, boil it down. Why do black people vote? You know, African American, and without going through all the history. You mean Democrat? You said African black people vote <laughs> African American. <laughs> they would love to do that if there was more representation. Absolutely. But yes, vote Democrat. <laughs> I would I would boil it down to the, just that that fact. The priorities right. of the African American voter are different than the primor, pri, the priorities of a right. white evangelical Christian. Yeah. They are different priorities, even if they're both Christians. Mm. Different priorities, Absolutely. and so that priority is racial injustice, mm -hmm. right? Racial inequality. So who do I think is going to better deal with this? With this issue, who do I think is listening? Who yeah. do I think is going to give the most hope and change? Yeah. And I think that's what it boiled down to in the end in in your conversation with your guys. It was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I asked two questions. I, I asked where the Republican failure was, and then I asked, you know, where was the Democrat success? And, right. and you just hit it on the head exactly. Yeah. So Democrats are are at least presenting that they're willing to listen, even if they're, you know, not. Yeah, yeah, and and. and you know, they talked about coded language, you know, I, I loved that because, yeah. because they all know it. like every black person that I have known and, and black people correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a code in different, um, d even different law, the constitution. Like yeah. that's oh, one yeah. of the things that my buddy Jarrell said, he's like, that's not fooling us. Right. Like, let's talk about we, the people that right. that's not my people, Tyler. Yeah. Like, we, we know what we, we, Right is and who it's not. Right, and that's how they legit feel. And there's all this coded language. You know, we talked about law and order, states' yeah. rights. You know, small government. That's you know, a constant bill of rights. There, all, all the things. there are. There's language that's wrapped up in that that right. has historical context to right. it, and it again. So it just brings us back to that. You know. Uh, the message that is getting sent out. What's yeah. a, what message is actually being sent out? Yeah. And are you speaking to the African-American when you send that message? And one of the things that I think is the most uh, insulting thing, Tyler, when it comes to this issue is, and I have heard this my entire life, and, and I am 
am more and more troubled by it. Mm-hmm. The more anti-racist I get, yeah. um, the more and more troubled by it I am. And it is this. The reason why African-Americans vote Democrat is because they are um, they're getting duped yep. and they just want handouts. Yep. As I've if, as if the conversation that you ha- you had with your two buddies and the conversations that you have had with those guys and the conversations I have had with African Americans, right. as if they put no other thought into it. Right. They're just these guys who, you know, these men and women, they just want handouts. They just want the free ride. They right. just want. They don't. What, they're, you know, they're don't, they don't. They don't want to work hard. They just want stuff given to them. That's incredibly racist. There's no personal. <laughs> like, no personal responsibility. Right. Um, that language yeah. is so insulting to African Americans. Yeah. So insulting, as if they are just too uneducated, too dumb, mm-hmm. um, just a bunch of bums that want handouts and can't really, you know, speak to these issues with conviction yeah. and with heart. And I, I think what we found, um, and I hope what's being found in this conversation that we're having on this episode is yeah. that there is a depth to the thought of African Americans and why they vote the right. way they vote. And that is massively important for us yeah. um, to be a gracious people. Right. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that speaks to that graciousness and that speaks to the love that we're supposed to have in trying to understand where our brothers and sisters are coming from, even on an issue like who we vote for. I just finished a book promote the book, I guess, because it was really, really good. It's by the Anne Campaign. Um, Justin Gibney, Michael Weir, and Chris Butler, they wrote a book called Compassion and Conviction. It's the Anne Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic, Civic Engagement. I would encourage you to research a little bit on the Anne Campaign, but they wrote this book, and I, I just finished it, and I, I thought there's a, a couple things that I wanted to read in here, a couple quotes that I wanted to read that I think are very, very important for understanding this issue. It says this, while politics can be used for good purposes, we shouldn't ignore the concerns of those who fear that it can corrupt individual Christians and taint the church. Christians have to be deliberately about deliberate about avoiding the pitfalls of political participation. So what is the the pitfall, Tyler, of political participation? It is only seeking my own interest. Right. See, politics can pull us into that pitfall to where all we think about is our own interest. Yeah. Um, not the interest of others. And while we certainly shouldn't plan to lose, Christians must keep in mind that we aren't engaging primarily to win political battles right? or to serve our own interest. We have been given a commission by God that is different than that. Mm. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Philippians chapter two, verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. So you want a biblical guide to to vote. There it is. Right, right. And so I I understand Mm -hmm. when people say, I want to vote Republican mm-hmm. because I want to vote pro-choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, pro-life, sorry. Yeah. I want to vote pro-life because that is directly the the, imp, the, the needs of, of others. Right. But I also get why people say, I'm going to vote Democrat because it, too, d- is dealing with the needs of others, namely the African-American exactly. community. Um, 
we, this is what they continue to say in this book, we should participate in politics primarily to help others and to represent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the public square. This doesn't mean we have to ignore our own interest, but we cannot be consumed or misled by them. Mm. So we as Christians who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are here to serve other people. I would hope and pray that we as white Christians who have privileges, as we talked about in the last podcast, have privileges and things that we have had have been advantageous to us right. that not everybody would have, that we would use our privilege for others, yeah. including our privilege of how we vote. Right. Um, and... Uh, trying to to comprehend why people would vote differently than me mm-hmm. and giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And that's what we don't do these days, right? We don't give people the ven- benefit of the doubt. People everyone who votes for Trump is not a, a raging, you know, yeah. uh, right yeah. racist. Far right racist, yeah. Everyone that votes for the Democrats is not a baby hating you know, socialist right. um, that wants riots in the street. Right. That is speaking past the 99% of people yeah. who are trying to vote. Yeah. And so I, I was hoping this podcast would be just be a, an opportunity for white Christians yeah. who based upon the numbers are probably going to vote yeah. for Trump. Mm-hmm. will listen to this and say, okay, I have a better understanding of why blacks overwhelmingly vote Democrat. And it's not just because they want a handout. Right. It's not just because, you know, it's not because they hate babies and don't care about abortion or don't really love God and Jesus. Um, There are things that are deeper than that. And so I would call on everyone Mm -hmm. who listens to this podcast to do not only look out for your own interest, but for the interest of others and do not seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. And I think as we as Christians, if we if that's how we engage in politics and that's our desire, then I think that we can lovingly disagree at times. Absolutely. Um, but we can sit across from our neighbor and actually love each other while we have these conversations and why we view things a little bit differently at times yeah. uh, or exactly the same. Depending and who on knows, it. that might spark change to not be just a two-party system. Yeah. Or maybe wings will come back, yeah. you know, where, yeah. where it's not so far left, it's not so far right. And it's not so us versus them. Right. There's a middle ground with uh, where a Christian can vote in clear conscience. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I know I know that um, that may not happen in our lifetime, Might but not. I do. But I do know one thing that is happening in our lifetime. It is that the kingdom of God is spreading upon this earth. Exactly. And that it cannot be shaken by yeah. any political system. He's about to preach. Y'all. And that when all of this is done, right? Yeah. And when all of this is done. Uh, I love what John Piper said. He said, America and its politics will be a footnote mm. in in the new creation. Yeah. And we must never forget that yeah. uh, and let that drive us in everything that we do. If you have stayed with us this entire episode, God bless, bless you. you. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Um, we do it to hopefully be a, a blessing and hopefully to be a resource that you can use. Please like, share, uh, when I say share, I mean if you're on Twitter and Facebook and you see that we post Instagram something too now. and Instagram, oh, wait, wait. yeah, that's right, we are on Instagram now. Instagram. Please share it. 
so that other people, the more that it gets shared and the other more people like it, the more um, that it's going to appear through the algorithms algorithms on stuff. So please like, share, review, um, do all those things for us to, to promote the podcast as best you can. We love you guys. Thank you for joining us once again, and we'll see you next time.